Welcome to the Sports Innovation Podcast, presented by the IUPUI Sports Innovation Institute, located right here in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Sherman, a full-time faculty member within the Sport Management Program here at IUPUI and a professional sports statistician here in Indianapolis. The Sports Innovation Podcast is designed to highlight innovative practitioners and scholars throughout sport and education to learn new and thought-provoking ways to improve our industry together. Thank you for listening to the Sports Innovation Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Sports Innovation Podcast presented by the IUPUI Sports Innovation Institute. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Sherman, and joining me here today from Philadelphia is Dr. Bradley Baker. He's an assistant professor in the School of Sport, Tourism, and Hospitality Management at Temple University. Brad, how's it going today? Thanks, Jeff. It's it's going great today. I'm, I'm happy to be here and excited to, to talk to your audience. So today we're going to be talking about uh, Bradley's research and his entry into the Sports Innovation Journal. So first, Bradley, I'd like you to tell our listeners about yourself and what spaces do you like researching? Yeah, great. Uh, my main research area is is consumer behavior and digital sport management. So brand building, identity formation, and mediated spaces. So I do a lot of work with social media, uh, but I also have a, a stream of research on esports and other contexts at that interface between technology and sport. And so that's how I got into to NFTs, non fungible tokens. Uh, and the, the paper that we're going to be talking about here, but looking at how that technology sport intersection impacts sport organizations and sport consumers. That sounds phenomenal. And I'm, I'm not in that headspace myself, but I'm hoping to learn a whole lot from you here just today. So, okay. So let's, let's just jump right in. You, you're interested in NFTs. You're, you're, you're talking about them. It's something that I guess is kind of taking over the world a little bit. It's it's got a lot of news. So, what in the world are they? Yeah, I, I think that's the question that that people start with. There's this ton of buzz around it, and it it builds off of that buzz around blockchain, which perhaps is even buzzier if that's at all possible. Uh, but that question is, well, what is it? I've heard about it. I've heard. NFTs, like what even are those letters mean? Maybe I know that they're non-fungible tokens, but what do those words mean? Uh, you know, as we you break it down, it, it doesn't get any any easier. Uh, and that's really part of the the genesis of this project was to go from that, what is this, and help create a, a primer to help explain what it is and how why it it's a thing that matters for for the sports industry and for sports researchers. I think that the easiest way is to, to break into pieces and look at what those pieces are. Uh, so we have non-fungible and we have tokens. Well, okay, non-fungible, that still doesn't help you very much. Okay, non, it's not fungible. What's fungible? Uh, and so what fungible is, is something that's interchangeable. It's something that can be easily subdivided. Uh, and so I think the, the canonical example there is say, a, a dollar bill. A dollar is a very fungible concept. If, if you hand me a dollar and I hand you back you know, four quarters or I hand you back a different dollar bill or you hand me 
five $1 bills and I hand you back a $5 bill. We don't really care. They're, they're completely interchangeable. I don't care which dollar bill it is. It's just the concept of a dollar. Uh, and so what format, which exact physical representation of that isn't important. And so that's fungible. So non-fungible is the opposite of that. It's something where this is something where the particular instance matters. So for instance, if you know you borrowed my car and you said, hey, I need a car for the weekend. I said, sure, here's my keys. And you come back on Monday and you say, hey, I don't have your car, but here's a car. Well, that's not exactly what I'm looking for here. Uh, my car is my car. It's not just a car or even if, you know, I happen to drive a, a Toyota RAV4. If you gave me back a different Toyota RAV4, that's still not, for me, a replacement. That's not what I'm looking for uh, end of the weekend. So my car is non-fungible. Uh, but at the same token, let's say, no pun intended there, let's say that, you know, I gave it to you, the gas tank was full, you bring it back Monday and the gas tank's full. I don't care that it's different gas. You know, you put a, a you know, what gallon of gas you used and that it's a different gallon in there. Gasoline is very fungible. Uh, and so that that's sort of where the fungible, non-fungible divide comes in. Uh, and token is uh, a simply a, a digital representation of something else or of a concept. And so a non-fungible token, when you start to bring this back together, is a digital representation of some indivisible, unique object. So you referred, to, I love that example, by the way, <laughs> the personal car. I love that. And the gas. I absolutely love that. So you mentioned the blockchain and now so many people don't even know what the blockchain is. I, I don't really understand it. And so kind of give me a, what is the blockchain? And, and I, I just, just, just explain that. Yeah. So, so the blockchain uh, actually has been around a lot longer than most people think. It, this started as a, a conceptual thing from a couple uh, cryptography researchers back in the early '90s, where they were talking about the idea of creating a, an indelible, permanent, time-stamped ledger or record. Uh, when we say ledger, that's all we mean is is just a record of something. Uh, and so the concept's been around for, I mean, 30 years now. It really got popular interest starting in 2008. Uh, that's when when uh, Satoshi Nakamoto wrote the white paper or published the white paper. And this is a, a pseudonym. No one really knows who who he or they are, she or they are. Uh, but uh, announcing the design behind Bitcoin and the you could use this blockchain idea of this, this permanent distributed cryptographic, so that just means uh, encoded ledger or record as a currency. And so that happened in 2008. And you know, blockchain just started to explode around around that idea, starting with with uh, Bitcoin and the various cryptocurrencies using the blockchain for a money like replacement, uh, if you will. What a blockchain is, and I won't get too deep into the technical details, is you have blocks which are are uh, coded or, or you know cryptographically encoded set of information that typically we're talking about a, lot, a, a set of transactions that are, are put together and encoded and then are attached to a 
permanent growing set of these blocks, which is the chain. So the block chain, it's this chain made up out of these blocks. Uh, and as more transactions occur, they get encoded into a block. That block gets permanently attached to an existing chain, and the chain just keeps continuing to grow. Uh, and this chain is effectively just a way of recording all of these timestamp transactions. Okay, so that so basically, it's like a hotel ledger. Yeah, done in a way that anybody can inspect it, and the using basically unbreakable cryptography or virtually unbreakable cryptography to ensure the authenticity that you can't go in and, and modify it without that modification becoming evident to, to other people looking at it. The other key thing with the blockchains is that this is all done in a distributed fashion. So you don't have a central authority. So the, the hotel ledger that you're talking about, the, the hotel and the hotel management is who keeps that record. And you have to trust that they're keeping that record accurately and that they'll keep it safe and that it won't you know get destroyed uh with the the key aspect of of the blockchain going back to to you know this this original concept in the early 90s was that this could be done without relying on a central authority that it's the the group of entities people that are all working toward that the blockchain to help uh code the blocks that can be collectively in charge of it without that that central repository place so a very decentralized system that of there's really not a there's really not there's really not control it's kind of that honor system control but yet it, but yet yeah, highly exactly. encrypted right and that that's that's sort of one of one of the sort of there's you know for this there's a couple different key pieces and that's that's i think probably the most maybe the most central key piece on what made this different from, you know, having a, a physical ledger. I mean, you can go back to, you know, centuries and millennia, and we've recorded transactions on all kinds of different format, but the, the idea of being able to do this in a distributed fashion, using the, the cryptography, using the, the coding techniques uh, is really sort of the, what made this different and distinct. So this uh, is so so basically the only way that the encryption can be violated is if is if somebody loses their password, right? <laughs> well, so certainly doing that, you can lose access to you know if there's yeah. That, I mean, that's always one of the the tricky things with this is how do you show who you are when it's all all encoded, and if you lose access to being able to prove your identity, then you don't get the benefits of being who you are. You could be out billions uh, so that, of dollars, the, right? Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, you hear those horror stories about the person who has, you know, however many, you know, Bitcoin and some digital and th wallet. And three password attempts left, no right? No the world has access to. Exactly. All right. So in your piece for our journal, you talk about how NFTs have and the blockchain have arrived in the sport industry. So... How does what you covered in your research, how does it show the effect that NFTs are having on sport? Yeah, so I, I think that, that the the answer to that, I think I'll, I'll lay a little bit more groundwork on how we get from the blockchain to, to NFTs, because uh, I think it's it's useful for understanding where, where we are today. Uh, NFTs are 
you know, I'd, I'd mentioned that what popularized blockchain was was Bitcoin in 2008. That's just one potential use case for blockchain. Uh, NFTs are a, a different use. It's recording digital items or pointers to digital items on this type of indeligible ledger. Uh, and this started in the art world in uh, 2014 as sort of an experiment of there was, a, you know, digital art was had become big, but there was always that concern of, you know, when it's when it's not the same as, say, selling or or viewing a physical painting or a sculpture. When when art moved into the digital realm, in addition to the, the physical art realm, which, of course, is still very vibrant. How did you sort of capture authenticity? How did you capture ownership? Uh, and so this started as, as a technical thought experiment on what is this a way that could sort of make those physical connections that we're used to, those physical uh, ideas, apply to, to digital art. And then a couple years later in 2017, there were a couple projects that really, you know, this is very much a small side thing in, in the art world. This wasn't a, a, a big idea. Uh, 2017, some other people not necessarily in the art world took that idea. And uh, the two that really popularized it were CryptoKitties, which was a, a game that was built on top of the blockchain of these digital cat-like creatures that you could maintain and, and breed into new new ones that that you know, like genetics, pulled characteristics of the, the parent cats, uh, and CryptoPunks, which was a set of, you know, th those are still popular enough that people are seeing them around and then, you know, being used as, as profile images. But it was, you know, computer-generated images of these highly pixelated faces uh, that were using aspects out of punk culture. And so, hairstyles and piercings and hats and whatnot uh, that were done as NFTs. And the, at the beginning, this was, you know, sort of a, let's just see, this is new technology. Let's see what happens. And they became very popular. It became a, a self-sustaining community. Uh, money started pouring in as people started wanting to be part of the in crowd of, well, there's 10,000 of these and there's only ever going to be 10,000. If I want to be part of this, one of the, the people that has this, I need to buy it from someone that has it. Uh, and that caught a lot of attention. Where it moved into sport was a, a similar issue. Uh, there'd been a couple early initiatives on this, but the one that really, I think, was the first to land in a real way was, was NBA Top Shot. Uh, and so this was driven by, uh, by a startup out of, of Vancouver. They'd been involved... Uh, earlier, but partnering with the NBA to take moments. And what a moment is, is a short video highlight clip of something in from an NBA game and converting those into an NFT. So an NFT is, again, this, this token, this digital representation that points to this video clip and says, in some way, I have been, I have authority to say that I own this clip. This is where it gets really interesting, and you might need to, to pull in some legal experts because it doesn't give you all of the other type of copyright uh, permissions <laughs> on that. It's really just the, the idea of ownership of this. Uh, and we'll, the, the, I am not a, a lawyer. I do not have a JD. That, that would be well beyond my depth on, on trying to sort out 
sort out the copyright laws that, that come into that that aspect of it and the IP rights. Uh, but uh, so this this came out um, and where this got hot, this came out right at the end of, of 2020 uh, and started really building into the big, beginning of, of 2021. You know, this, of course, is also, you know, middle of the, the COVID pandemic and, you know, life is in large ways been shut down for most of a year at that point. Uh, there were also a lot of other things. The, the cryptocurrency market was incredibly frothy, the, the, you know, whether it was Bitcoin or or Ethereum or, or, or Dogecoin, They're, these were all just taking off, just huge increases in, in value in terms of any type of traditional currency. So if you wanted to look at the exchange rate with dollars, uh, the, all of these, the entire space was, was just shooting up um, to the moon, as they say. Uh, and so that, that also built in because where NFTs are built on top of the blockchain, there's that hype. And that buzz all sort there's a lot of halo effect as these all played off of each other. And so we we had this new thing in sport that got very hot right in an environment where this was a very hot area. Uh, and this is also when like the the Reddit uh, Wall Street bets took off with uh, you know and GameStop went uh, GameStop went from you know worth twelve dollars to. 360 in the course of a week or what did they call um, that standing up to the big boys <laughs> yeah and so there, there was a lot of other you know financial speculation going on uh so the, the whole bunch of different themes were all coming together and it, it just happened to hit at a, a good time uh and so nba top shot really took off and and became a a got a lot of media attention in part because of the financial speculation that uh, in part because people like that idea of, of mystery, you know, you buy a pack, it's similar to, to baseball cards, you buy a pack of baseball cards, and you don't know, are you going to get, you know, random MLB player, you know, are, you know, well, the Pokemon, I mean, Pokemon was doing the same thing or, during that time frame. So, you know, I mean, Target, Walmart, they all had to stop selling Pokemon cards, because there was violence over them during the pandemic, you know, so yeah, totally get uh, absolutely. that. Absolutely. So, so all of these these social trends were all coming together, and so it was that idea of okay, well, I, if I can get this pack, you know, you know, maybe I get your your typical NBA player. That's great. I'm an NBA fan. That's you know, I like that. You know, maybe I get you know LeBron James doing something amazing. Maybe I get Steph Curry just you know shooting it from the logo, and you know, now I have something that's that I really like. And so there that you never really know what you're going to get until you open it. Uh, anticipation on top layered on top with the and even if I don't like it I know somebody else is really going to like it and maybe I get that payday you get that lottery ticket effect so there are a lot of that going on uh, layered on top of this well what actually is this that you're buying type of, of moment so you talked a little bit about f the FOMO the fear of missing out right you mentioned that just now, like the the people wanting to make sure that they could capture that, you know, and have that memory. Do you see that as being one of the main motives in NFTs and in how the NBA Top Shot kind of set it up at the right time? Yeah, I, I think the the FOMO, as you as you said, fear of missing out, 
it's you know the it gets interesting because there's not a single this is the main motive it's everybody's coming in with a different motive and most people have multiple motives and so it's how do all of these intersect and how do all of these different people that are engaging for perhaps very different reasons all into the same space and so that's part of what i think is very interesting it's also part of what makes this so complex Uh, but without question for a number of people that that fear of missing out was if not the chief driver, at least a major driver, that idea that, you know, someone else that you know, someone's in your social network, maybe it's a good friend, maybe it's just a weak tie, some friend of friend, but they're they're You see things that they talk about, you know, talks about how they just made, you know, $10,000 on this. And you're like, wow, <laughs> like all I need to do is hop on and, and, you know, buy this, this $3 pack and I might get that too. Uh, is this? But I don't know about this. How am I? Am I just missing this opportunity because I don't know enough? Do I need to to chase in? And so that's definitely part of it, especially with that that financial speculation element. Uh, but also that, well, very quickly this gets locked in. It's it's these. You know, if if you go back to what I was talking about with the the crypto punks, there's ten thousand of them. It was designed as a as a limited set. Ten thousand's a lot. But it's not a lot of 100,000 people want it. Uh, and if you're in early, great. You know, it was just, you could just, uh, minting is the, the name for creating an NFT. You could just mint them freely. And so, you know, if you were one of the, the super early adopters before anyone had heard about it, yeah, I mean, this is kind of fun. Let's just do it. I'll, I'll mint, you know, 10 or 20 of them. And now you have those. And now two years later, this is suddenly this very hot thing. If you were there right from the beginning, it's very easy. If you're not there, if you're coming in after it starts to get that buzz, it gets very hard to enter. So that now reinforces every new project that you maybe hear a rumor of. You're like, oh, how do I get in? So I'm in on that ground floor. I'm in that that initial group and not locked out trying to, to find the, the crack to get in later. And so there's, there's that even, you know, even if it's the this new project that's not even launched yet, I don't want to miss out in case this becomes the next big thing. Hey, listeners, just a quick time out and we'll get right back to today's episode. The Sports Innovation Journal is currently accepting submissions. If you're seeking a place to publish your innovative ideas and research on the sport industry, then consider submitting your work to the Sports Innovation Journal. The Sports Innovation Journal is an open access journal targeting the practitioners seeking answers to the most common questions and problems in the industry. We're always looking for submissions from researchers who are identifying and studying those questions and problems. If you're interested in publishing your work in or serving as a reviewer for the Sports Innovation Journal, please visit the link in the notes or contact Dr. David Pierce, the editor of the SIJ and director of the IUPUI Sports Innovation Institute at dpierce3 at iupui.edu. That's D-P-I-E-R-C-E-3 at iupui.edu. Now let's get back to today's episode of the Sports Innovation Podcast. So you kind of led me into this next one. So you, you talked the, the 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 fear of missing out and the the I got to get in now or I'm going to miss out, right? And then the, the crypto punks with the 10,000, yet 100,000 might be interested in it. You talk about in your piece, scarcity, yet abundancy. We know that scarcity is, a, is 
the, the a fundamental basis for economics, right? Creating scarcity for your product, you got to do it. But there's so much in the sports world on the digital side of things. There's so many photographers, there's so many videographers out there that how do you create, how, how do they create that scarcity yet there's so much in abundancy in that space and they're coexisting. How do they do that? How are they, how are they pulling that off? You, you use NBA top shot in your piece and you talked about it a few times here. How have they done that? There's so much out there. How have they created scarcity so that NFTs are popular? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's a really key piece, especially, I mean, anything that's in the collectible space. And I think that a lot of what we're seeing in the, the current use cases are in collectibles. So an NBA top shot uh, is a collectible. It's that you have something that no one else has or that few other people have. Uh, and this is, you know, whether we're talking about, you know, digital video clips like NBA top shot or baseball cards or fine art. Uh, the idea is that you have something that's exclusive. You have something that's rare uh, and that you have it and other people don't. And, I think you make a great point of if we're just talking about the ability to access sport content, I mean, you could stream on every monitor in your house and you couldn't capture all of what's being produced in sport if you just ran everything 24 uh, seven. So how do, how does sport sport contents not scarce, even particular sports content, when we're talking about a digital context, it's endlessly reproducible. The fact that I'm watching uh, a particular NBA game or a particular NBA highlight in no way prevents you from also doing that. And so where does the, the scarcity, if we're, we're saying that the value is from this exclusivity, but there's no exclusion, where does the scarcity come from? And so part of that is by taking these and saying, well, only these ones that are officially recognized as part of this series, part of this chain, we're, we're putting a fence around it. And then when you're talking about something like NBA Top Shot, they have a huge number of clips to, to choose from, from very routine things, just somebody making a pass in normal flow of play to some amazing dunk or incredible shot, the, the buzzer beater, something that actually might be on say a, a sports center top 10 highlight type highlight uh but what they'll do is they'll say well we're going to take these these clips ranging from almost mundane to absolutely outstanding one of the best things in sport for the day uh and we're going to to then make a certain number of it and especially with those more exceptional things they'll make many fewer of it and so they'll you know, the, the NFTs, they'll make more than one out of the same clip, but some of the NFTs they'll make 49 or 79 of, each of which has a, an individual serial number. So they, they are still, still distinct and they are still unique when you get down to that level. Uh, other clips, they may make 10,000 of. And so that also lets you set some, you can dial the scarcity even within the NBA Top Shot project. Uh, and so they, they do that intentionally to give easier entry points, more exclusive entry points, let people build up their status and say, well, yeah, you know, yeah, I do NBA Top Shot or yeah, I do NBA Top Shot, but I'm only looking at these legendary, super exclusive, there are, you know, 49 people in the, the world 
have this particular clip. Uh, and so they also let people that helps play into the, how much financial commitment are you able to do or willing to do, but also the, how important do you want that, that sense of I'm in a really small club. Uh, and so that that's built into the design of, of the project very intentionally. Why? Because it works really well. So to put it into perspective a little bit for the, the brick and mortar crowd, it's kind of like a Danbury mint sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, th these are all, you know, limited editions and limited to some are, you know, limited to a very small number. Some are limited to a moderately large number. Uh, none of these are, are unlimited collections. They're never there's not going to be anything where they just, you know, mint on demand as many as people want. So they want that that limited edition, but they also scale how limited each edition is. Uh, to to create that that that's interesting variation. that's interesting that they scale it that's that's that they can ugh, you know what i mean i i, I don't know i just I, so the, the like a lebron james dunk that's really out of this world there might be one but yet another out of this world play could be 500 right and, and they, they they i don't know I don't, that's just it's so fascinating to me all of this whole thing is so fascinating so I want to shift a little bit into the, the theoretical. So you, you brought into your piece signaling theory and how it relates to NFTs. Kind of give us a primer into what you mean by how signaling theory and NFTs come together. Sure. So the, the core concept, and there's much more depth than I'll, I can possibly get into, but the, the core concept with signaling theory is it's... People have characteristics that frequently aren't readily observable, uh, but are, people have different levels of those characteristics. There are different levels of intelligence, different levels of wealth, different levels of whatever it is, ability to do something. And the idea behind signaling theory is you need to find ways to demonstrate those unobservable characteristics in ways that are observable and that reliably indicate what the unobservable characteristic is. Uh, so if, if I have an unobservable characteristic that's, that's valuable, that other people is desirable, I want other people to know that so that they'll elevate their impression of me. But since this is an unobservable characteristic, I can't just, you know, I can tell you I have it and you can believe me. Or if there's some observable thing that I can only do or that's easier to do only if I'm high on on the unobservable characteristic, then I can use that to signal this unobservable uh, characteristic. And so you can, you know, you don't just have to take my word for it. I wouldn't be able to do this signal. It would be too costly to do the signal if it weren't a true signal. So where, where we get into NFTs is NFTs send signals about some unobservable, you know, having, possessing an NFT uh, or possessing a, a wallet full of NFTs is signals some other things about me. It signals that I have the knowledge of what an NFT is, that I would either I have the financial resources to just buy up anything I want. So that's that's one possible answer. Or I had the the knowledge connections and the social capital to know that this was going to be a thing back when it didn't take, you know, Jeff Bezos money to, to buy in. Uh, and so I, I was an early, you know, I was one of the people I'm so well connected. I have my, my finger on the pulse of, of 
popular sport culture. So I knew that this was coming or even better of sport tech culture, because uh, that's really what, what we're talking about with, with NFTs or sport NFTs, that I'm, I'm connected. I'm part of that in-group. And so by having this, I'm signaling that I'm somebody who knows things, that I have the right types of knowledge, that I have the right types of access, that I have the right social standing. And social standing's really hard to observe directly, but things like the having the NFTs help signal that either it was incredibly expensive to get this, or it was incredibly expensive in terms of social capital and know-how to get this. And so I'm signaling that I have that. So is that kind of like, would you say, uh, I, have, I, I, I was down in the NBA restart and there was a couple of things that I ended up purchasing that were collector items. So if I showcase that, then I'm just flat out signaling. Is that what kind of what you're saying there? I mean, it's not showing that status, it's showing that I was there, right? Well, and so what I'd say is that being there is a form of status. It is a form of social standing. It's that you are in some way connected, that you're an insider, that you were present. Uh, and so that it's, it's, these parallels are, are very close. It's, you know, the same, same concepts are working there. It's the, the showing that you're part of the in-group for a particular in-group. And in this case, wow. my, mine is physical, right? Mine is right. an actual thing I can mount on the wall. In the case of NFTs, so with, how, do you, how would you signal that? How would you signal that you have, you know, do, do you show them your, I, I don't, do you show them your blockchain entry? I don't know. I mean, how does that work? Yeah, and so then, then it's also a couple different things. One is how do you display this? The other is who do you display it to and can they recognize the signal? Uh, and signals only work for if the receiver of the signal interprets it the way that that you're hoping for, that you're trying to. Uh, and when we are talking about, you know, this, this is very much a way of signaling to other people that are in the group and that are adjacent to the group, somebody who doesn't really know or doesn't get or doesn't value that group membership or how an NF, a particular NFT is signaling membership in that, the signal has no value to that, to that recipient. It, it, they don't, and it may even have negative value. They may be like, oh, well, you're a, a crypto bro or you're, you're just somebody who's chasing these fads and you're so into to this. But I mean, I can right click save as well. I don't, I don't understand it. <laughs> That's, um, that, this is my point, right? You can right click save as, right? So, I mean, I have, I have, this is what people have talked about. I have the same exact thing that you do. I just don't have the blockchain entry. I have the actual physical file on my computer, right? And that's right. that's where that's where the struggle is with NFTs, right? And I think that's why it's so it's a bit controversial right now, yet still I guess in the newbie phase, I I, I don't know. That's just I, <laughs> I it's also fascinating to me because I'm so I'm I'm such an old school guy, right? I'm so used to the Oh, uh, I've got a physical thing and I can show it off. Instead, I got to now go, here's my 37 digit code for my NFT. I can show it to you, but I don't want you to screenshot it or something. I don't, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's just so fascinating to me. So, okay. So we've gotten through a lot of the, a lot of your paper and a lot of what you talked about in your piece, which I read your piece a couple of times. I absolutely love it. And I think it's a great addition to 
the sports innovation journal because the the way you attacked it and the 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 hypothesis that you had talked about prior to us you know getting on here i absolutely love it because that's exactly the same question i had right what what's next you talk about that in the piece tell us what's next for nfts in sport yeah because i th- i think that's the the key question and and i think what we were looking for with with our article was really to help provide that entry point because at this point everybody's heard about it but unless you're already in that space it's uh, well i don't quite get it and so a lot of what we're looking to do is not explain everything but help ease that well at least at least have enough understanding of of what's going on but where i think it gets interesting isn't just where how we got to where we are and where we are now but where might we be going with this what what might this look like a year from now, three years from now, 10 years from now, uh, and seeing how this evolves. And I think right now, the the dominant use case in NFTs in general, uh, you know, and the high profile ones are things like Board Ape, Yacht Club, and, and CryptoPunks are still one of the really hot ones. Uh, those are uh, those are collectibles. In terms of sport, the hot, hot ones are things like NBA Top Shot, which is a collectible. It, it's a, you know, digital version of you know, baseball cards, which have been around for over 100 years. Uh, But, okay, is there more to it or is that what this is? And I think that that's what it is now. That's what we have. And there are people that are very into collectibles. And there's people that are very into sports collectibles. And there's people that are very into digital sports collectibles. And that that is a a well-defined community. It's it's a, a, you know, valid area. For me, I think it gets much more interesting. What else can we do with the technology? Where else does it actually make sense that's beyond collectibles and that it can expand that, that limit? And that's where I think that if we look back at what the technology is and what the technology can do, that's where we can start to understand, well, how could we use this that maybe makes more sense to a broader audience? Uh, one of the, the great things about this, this is all built on top of, of blockchain. Well, Originally, this is this permanent time-stamped ledger of transactions. Well, where do we need things like that in sport? If you think about ticketing, one of the, the issues that's been around as long as sporting events have been ticketed, you have this physical ticket that says, yes, I'm allowed entry into this arena. Well, what if somebody else has that a ticket that looks just like it that they, you know, scribbled out on paper and wrote themselves or printed at home, how do we determine that this is an authentic ticket? And so authenticity has always been an issue with ticketing. And especially as we get into to secondary ticket markets and peer-to-peer transactions, you know, I have a, a ticket to the Eagles, but I can't go to the game. And so I, I sell it off to somebody else. How do you know that I'm actually selling a legitimate ticket that the Eagles will let you into to Lincoln Financial Field versus... I printed something out at home and I'm just scamming you. And so that's a, a major issue in ticketing, whether it's the, the direct primary from the, the team or especially when we get into that secondary, less regulated market, uh, what am I actually buying the, the real thing? Well, that blockchain is designed to, to do that. Blockchain is designed to, to verify the authenticity, to verify the the ownership, the time stamping, so the, the exact series of transactions, that's what it's built for. Uh, and so that's a natural use case for me, especially as we move more and more to touchless ticketing and digital ticketing. Certainly with the pandemic, that's been accelerated. That was a trend that existed 
you know, well before COVID, they were moving away from physical tickets that you had to to mail and didn't want to lose and could transact to, to digital forms. Uh, and that's just massively accelerated over the past two years. But that's a very natural fit for this type of technology because now we can guarantee that authenticity. Um, nice thing about blockchain is you can actually build in not just a record of ownership, but you can build an entire smart contract. And by smart contract, I mean, it's actually coded into the, the computer code that's also representing it can also capture what happens under different conditions. So maybe every time it transfers ownership, a little bit of the, the fee that's associated with the ownership transfer has to go back to the original owner, the team. And so maybe the, the team wants to extract, you know, 2% or 5% of every secondary ticket sale. And that's, you know, a bit of friction on, on being able to do secondary ticket sales, but it also helps them capture, you know, the, if, if something becomes suddenly very hot and that's always been an issue with, with, you know, whether it was variable pricing and then dynamic pricing and trying to capture some of that upside that some tickets become much more valuable than their nominal face value. Uh, but you can build that directly in, or you can not do that. You can do a, a complete direct analog of our current tickets. So there's that flexibility to do more with it. It's not a requirement to do more with it. Meanwhile, guaranteed authenticity. So I think that, that digital ticketing is, for me, the clear next use case because it, it solves a real-world problem that we've had for a long time. Uh, and, and really, anything that, that makes problems less, that solves something that actually people are encountering, is always a good candidate for where technology, where innovation should be going and is likely to be going. So that's the uh, low, so that's that's that's, the low uh, hanging fruit. That, I think that's, yep. that's really the, the next low hanging fruit. Um, it's much less buzzy than, than what we're seeing with the collectibles, but I think that that's one where it actually removes a pain point. It makes the, it helps facilitate transactions. It makes it easier for the team. It makes it easier for the sport consumer, for the fan, uh, for the game attendee, everything about the process gets a little bit smoother with the added technical hurdles. So as, as people get more used to it, as you learn how to do it. So there's definitely that, can we get over that initiation hump until it becomes routine practice? Uh, and we see this, I mean, this is the same thing with, with any type of innovation diffusion, uh, you know, moving from physical, I have cardstock printed ticket that I picked up at the ticket office to, I have a digital thing that I, I flash my, my phone at the, the scanner, you know, that required learning how to do that, changing our practices, similar idea here. And so you do have to, you have that, that learning curve there, but once you get enough of the people that are sport fans, sport consumers over that digital, that, that initial bump, that it makes a lot of the transactions, a lot of the, the consumption process smoother, easier, uh, cheaper. Where, where, where are you on this learning curve? You know, I would say I'm a, a very interested outsider. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't own any NFTs. Uh, I don't own any cryptocurrency. Um, you know, I, I, I'm with you on that. that. I find fascinating. And so I, I'm researching it because I think it's so interesting and because I can see how it, it impacts, you know, if you go back to, to my introduction and, and where I look at, at, you know, sport 
consumer behavior and especially sport technology interface and, and digital sport management. I mean, this is this is in that wheelhouse of what I find to be intriguing questions, interesting questions, uh, even though it's not personally how I consume sport. <laughs> I had to ask where you were on that learning curve. So, okay. So what's next for you, right? You did this piece. What's next? Are you delving more into the NFT world? Are you, uh, what, what's next for you? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, as, as I said, the, the purpose of this was to, to create a, a primer to help introduce concepts and terminology to more people, uh, to help pull more people up, uh, up the ladder to at least that first rung of, of being able to look at this. Uh, I think that this is, this is a, a long process. Um, you know, there's whatever rung I'm on now, which, you know, I can create an arbitrary number <laughs> for, but you know, that the idea is to, to keep climbing. I think that the, the more time I spend here, the more interesting questions, the more things that I, I want to, to learn about here. And so it's looking at what types of questions, especially around maybe novel use cases, things that, that some teams are just starting to try out. Uh, so there's some things with, for instance, fan tokens, a bunch of the, the European football clubs. And so we have... Yeah, like you mentioned Barcelona that in the paper. You mentioned, and, you mentioned that in the paper. Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, and so a, a bunch of the really top tier football clubs in Europe. It's much more heavy there. The, the North American uh, teams are, are really just dipping a toe in, but, but it's caught on a bit more over, over European football, looking at, at fan tokens. And so this, it's not quite ownership of the club. And, and I think the, the sport club, the European sport club model is already much more community driven than, you know, North American sport. You have that, that billionaire majority owner and, a couple billionaire minority owners and hundred millionaire smaller minority owners. Like it's that's hold very on. Much I'm that, sensing a theme. I'm sensing a theme here. Teams. We're talking about billionaires versus millionaires versus yeah. billionaires. <laughs> uh, I think that the European sport club model is is much more. It's owned by hundreds of thousands of people uh, that they they are members of. It's member owned that they're all in some way participants in the the control over over the club well fan tokens are sort of a digital way of doing that of recognizing that you are part of who the club is um and that what we you know right now the way that's working is we're having these tokens and that lets you do things like vote on which set of kit they're going to wear in the, the upcoming game or, you know, what, which athlete should get player of the match honors, you know, really sort of, these aren't material from a business perspective types of decisions, but they absolutely help foster fan engagement. They help build those, those behavioral and psychological connections between the club and, and their supporters. Uh, and I think that that's where we're seeing a lot of these tokens as a, potentially transferable digital representation of that. I am in, in a very real sense, a member of this club. I am part of this team. Yeah. I'm not one of the, the 11 players that's out on the pitch. It's kicking the ball around and hopefully scoring a bunch of goals, lifting the trophy, but I am still in a, in a broader sense, a member of this, this group. I talk uh, with my so students that, about that. I talk about the weave, the, the weave mentality of we lost or we won. No, you didn't. <laughs> they did. You're just a fan, right? But you're saying 
that now <clears throat> these people can actually say we and it actually means something with these tokens in, in, a, in a real sense yeah that it, it moves it's just a uh, another layer of of building that fan connection and it's a way of you know some of this is directly resourced you know if you're buying a token you're not just you're you're financially contributing to the club but you also now have this representation of look i am i have done that i am i am a member uh, and we've had club memberships i mean that that's not a new concept but this is a translation of that that concept um and it's a way of of building on it and and innovating to make the the newer form of it and a lot of these concepts there there are analogs that have been around that are well established and i think that's generally where we do see a lot of this this change is how do we take something and update it into the 21st century into the rapidly digitalizing if not fully digital world uh and what what does that look like as we move more into that space man all this stuff is so fascinating to me my brain's on overload right now um i hope that this can spark more people into researching this topic because the way that you've talked about it today it should be a primer for for everyone the way that you talked about it in your piece is i honestly it's it's simplistic in nature yet it's extremely complicated and you do a really good job of telling telling people that here's the way it works and here's what's going to be in the future i hope i see more from you in the future you can check out brad's piece in the uh, sports innovation journal by clicking the link below thank you bradley for coming on the sports innovation podcast i had a lot of fun today thanks jeff so did i and i love i love hearing other people discuss their research i love to hear about it and i'm hoping i see more from you i'm hoping to see more from your from this in the space from you and i really would love to talk to you more about consumer behavior so <laughs> thank you for coming on i really appreciate it yeah, th th thank you for having me. And I, I want to give a, a shout out to my my co-authors, uh, Anthony Pizzo and, and Yuran Su. Uh, this was definitely a, a team effort with, with all three of us uh, coming together on this. Well, thanks again, Brad. I appreciate it very much. Thanks, Jeff. You've been listening to the Sports Innovation Podcast presented by the IUPUI Sports Innovation Institute. You can check out the research conducted by the SII, get more information on the Sports Innovation Journal, and check out the research conducted by some of our students and much, much more by going to our website at sii.iupui.edu. Subscribe for the latest episodes, and thank you for listening to the Sports Innovation Podcast.